0: Hello. 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 How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm finally in this thing.
1: Okay. That was voiceover. Oh, voiceover. Okay. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. I really appreciate it. I I have been um, following you since I saw your um, interview that you did with the BBC on the super polyglots a while back and i was like wait a minute she's
0: from detroit (laughs) yeah yeah i am i am i am from detroit and so i'm local and it's funny because um i only ever really meet international folks at the polyglot conference and they're just you know and and then in 2018 at that that particular um that particular conference in slovenia it was really interesting um that that I was the only speaker of color. Um, and, and and it was just like I was telling the story, and part of me felt like, well, maybe this isn't the best for an international audience, but um, it, it ended up working out well because the story resonated as a story of a language learner, and it didn't really matter um, the background, but right. still felt like inspired by the story of overcoming obstacles. And I think that was something that did it transcended uh, borders and, you know, it didn't matter that it was about an American girl from Detroit. Cause I was like, really like surprised
1: because I've never been to uh, a polyglot event yet, except for women in language last year,
0: which was online.
1: And I was just like, Well, how many people of color actually go to these things? And has anyone spoken yet? I mean, because I've been a part of the community for about five years now. Really? Yeah. Um, However, I was the blind chick who spoke Russian. That's what everyone knew me Mm -hmm. from. And then I decided to do a podcast show. Uh, It'll be two years in May and interview people and I said well you know I'm going to do this from my perspective because that's the only perspective I can go by um and I said you know I I really want to know more about how you know you um you know learned your languages and like your your backstory I mean because the the I felt like the BBC interview didn't really do you justice it was like snippets
0: yeah yeah and they did they did say that they kind of had an angle they were trying to work um, a particular piece um, and and then they were asking people a little bit more about the experience of being a polyglot. And so they kind of wanted to veer the conversation into what is it like being from a monolingual society? So that was like when they did approach me about that, they were saying, Hey, we're doing a piece on, you know, being a polyglot in a monolingual kind of um, world. What is it like for you? And, you know, do you find other people or, thinking along the same lines as you or do they find that you're kind of odd or whatever the case is right
1: well I'm usually more informal with my interviews i it's more conversational okay so um we could start at the beginning um like when was the first time you knew languages were for you
0: well for me it was Um, growing up in Detroit, we uh, went, me and my siblings, we went to Detroit public schools and, you know, it wasn't long into our experiences. We were probably in like second or third grade, um, when we realized the schools were overcrowded and, you know, there just weren't a lot of, you know, educational resources. So my mom decided to take my siblings and I out of the public schools and homeschooled us just because there seemed to be a lack of educational opportunities. These were public schools that were underfunded and overcrowded. And so um, being homeschooled, we were going to the library every day and each of us kids was given a language. My, my older sister was given French. I was given Spanish. My brother was given German. And um, later on, when my little sister came along, I kind of wanted her to learn um Farsi so um so we all were just like these little um homeschool kids that had a very unique curriculum and much of our experiences was you know focused around having these kind of intercultural experiences and I know um downtown Detroit has this cultural center where you have the Detroit Institute of Arts the the main public library where there's a plethora of language learning um cassette tapes it used to be you know so um you know there were so many different opportunities and there was also the international center where there was a hall of international dolls from around the world that's kind of locally famous um or at least it was Mm -hmm. at the time and so this was something where we were being exposed to things that you know it wasn't it wasn't like what we were used to you know where everybody looked like us um going to schools um but now we were in a whole different world where I was fascinated by things that were different. And right. I think that was a theme that kind of stuck with me, that if some, something was from a different culture, I was really into it. And I kind of sought out, by the time I was like teenage, I sought out Indian classical dance lessons because I was learning Hindi. I was really into um, Indian classical dance, one in particular called Paratnatyam. Um, mm-hmm. I loved Bollywood movies and... So this became a theme, you know, just looking for cultural experiences on a local level. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't realize at the time that's where like my my language learning company started. It's, it's sort of um, it's a it's a baby business, but Ling Global is kind of focused around giving kids an international language experience while not ever really leaving their their home, but Mm -hmm. to ultimately prepare them for the opportunity. Into to another country and learn a language so mm-hmm. um that's kind of like my language learning background it was seeking something that's different and embracing it and you know always being the champion of otherness and finding that fascination with things that you know were were foreign
1: now oh, that's awesome because um i know for me personally uh, my language learning started like at five, with American Sign Language because I was around a lot of deaf kids, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother didn't know what to do with me because I had a, a ball of energy and being visually impaired. She was like, "I need to do something with this kid." Mm-hmm. So my her one of her friends was learning sign language in school, so she took me inside and taught me from scratch, mm-hmm. and I was fluent. But then as time went on. Um, I moved around, and so I was no longer around deaf kids, and um, I didn't have to use it again until I was about sixteen, mm-hmm. when I was working with deaf blind um, kids, and some of these kids were mute as well. So their communication skills were like cup, food, water, more, mm-hmm. you know. And so I I still remember the basics. I don't remember everything, but. Um, I didn't start uh, Spanish until I was in community college in Cleveland. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then um, it wasn't the language of choice. I wanted to do French, Italian, or Russian. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have it there at the campus I was at. And I didn't feel like catching like two buses to go to the west side just to do a semester of Russian. Yeah. So I said, well, you know, it happened when it happens. So I did the Spanish and um, for me, it was um, old school, a Como Cidici book and some CDs and a whole bunch of people reading to me constantly because I'm an auditory learner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I just basically went through like 27 months of, of Spanish and they wanted me to go to Mexico or Cuba uh, for like a summer and um uh, I didn't have the money, so I wasn't able to go. But I picked languages back up at age 38 with uh, Russian. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I just used Michelle Thomas and then YouTube, TuneIn Radio, RT News, all in Russian. I even did uh, Russia Today for um, my cable subscription when I had cable. Nice. And I just just sat there and listened all day. Mm -hmm. Like from 6 a.m. to midnight. For like a whole year And um, I did a lot of Speaking I I do The let's speak from day one approach um, yeah. And it's it's not Tarzan either It's like I learned You know How to introduce myself and what I want to say To people and I made videos on YouTube and this is how I held Myself accountable and went and did Language exchanges on Instant Messenger and Skype and WhatsApp And so I became proficient in it. It took me 5,544 hours. Wow, you were counting. Nice. Yeah, so, and then I just realized, oh, well, the rest of it was pretty easy. So I, I learned me some French and some Italian, some Dutch. Um, a bit of, um, I learned um, A1 Cantonese in six weeks. Um, using Mango.
0: And then oh, I Oh nice I, nice. I used to work for Mango Languages. Awesome. Uh, I I love Mango. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, yeah, they they're really awesome and I feel like they're changing, evolving um every time I turn around like um something is changing and something is getting better. Um they're really big proponents of kaizen. You know the continuous improvement, but you know it's funny. Um, I'm learning so much about you. Like, um, when I friended you on Facebook, I didn't know that you were a member of the blind community. And Mm -hmm. and you know, I think kudos to you for like you know being really great at Russian. And I think you know, in some ways, um, I I now have questions about you know being more of an auditory learner. And I think in some ways that can be a better approach just automatically jumping in and speaking as opposed to, you know, focusing on reading and writing. Yeah. And some of those things can hold you back. Well, Um, you know,
1: I just talked to Helen Johuli last week about that, who was the um, writer for the Japanese Michelle Thomas course. mm -hmm. And she also was the editor for the Korean course and the Irish course, which I'm going to be reviewing for them this summer. Um, because I'm doing um, marketing and advertising um, collaboration with them for a year. Oh, awesome! Uh, and so, um, for me personally, um, I enjoy Michelle Thomas because there's no books. Mm-hmm. You know, I I figured out how to learn languages a long time ago. Um, I mean, because I'm a self-taught learner anyway. Yeah. Um i i have a I have a theater background. I graduated from Kent State with a theater degree. And then I graduated from the Los Angeles Film School with a degree in directing and screenwriting and producing. And I have my TEFL certification to teach business English and English for young learners.
0: Wow, I am impressed. I want to be like you when I grow up. (laughs) I mean. And I'm about to be 43, so.
1: Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, so. You do not look it. (laughs) No, no, I don't. Thank God. (laughs) Even I'm getting some gray hair from what I'm being told. Um yeah my vision's limited so I've always been a large print reader mm-hmm. and and I also used audio quite a bit and I didn't know braille from the time I was 8 but when you're a large print reader and you know audio they expect you to learn to use your vision until you can't use it anymore mm-hmm. um that's pretty much how the system works whether you're working or whether you're in school and um so I really have been using braille probably since I was thirty six. Um I can read in Dutch, German, Italian, French, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, Russian. Yeah. I can read Braille in those languages. Because evidently I took Spanish in college and, and once you learn one Romance language, oh, oh and yeah, I can read Romania. Easier. Yeah. I can read <laughs> in Romanian too. So but I do a lot of ebooking. So I'll buy the ebook and I'll I'll have voiceover read it to me in uh in the language of my choice. And so I, I probably have like almost every Harry Potter book. Except for Hindi and oh. in in Arabic. I don't have Harry Potter in.
0: Yeah up Hindi is Hindi?
1: Oh, Namaste, um Mira um who Ooh.
0: Uh, I I did listen to this. I think you sent me something like that. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's Um, a serious polyglot. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I'm like Moses in a way. I kind of like to learn enough to be able to get by. I'm not trying to become what everybody wants to achieve native proficiency in the language. Because I feel personally, I'm not—I wasn't born here. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, okay, I want to what I do on my regular day as an English speaker. I want to be able to do the same thing in the languages that I'm I'm learning.
0: And I like, think that's what I do love about Moses Moses McCormick and his you know methodology. It's like learning questions to everyday innocuous things, and this is something that I emphasize with um, students of Lean Global and. You know, just, just kind of going out and finding the things that you love instead of that that weird Rosetta Stone system of the apple is red, the cake is blue. And it's just, when are you ever going to say that? You're not going to say that.
1: Just Never. like I went and my goal was to order food in Cantonese. I As soon as I finished the, the 10 chapter course on Mango, which was A1, mm-hmm. then I picked up the phone, called a, a Chinese restaurant. And I actually tried to order myself some um, some barbecue beef bun. Come oh, to find yeah. out, because it's Chinese American, <laughs> it's not Qing Mong, it's Ying Mong. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, oh, so I would have to go to Hong Kong. Yeah, we started laughing on the phone because i ordered something that's only made in hong kong
0: oh my gosh and so it's like it it yeah in in the regional distinctions you know it would be okay this is a Guangdong Guangdong dish and so uh you don't make that
1: right so i mean and it was funny because she was like you should keep going your cantonese is good and i was like okay sai." No
0: keep <laughs> <them>, y'all. <laughs> oh, wow. You know what? Because I started learning some Cantonese um around this time. It was like Valentine's Day last year. And I didn't keep it up. What is, what is, actually, I have a question for you. It's like, how do you keep up a consistent schedule? I know you mentioned YouTube is kind of like an accountability system um, and then podcasting. But I feel like I have so much going on sometimes. it's I use mango.
1: actually. For Cantonese, I used... I did the basic Cantonese that they had. Mm-hmm. Which was the first 10 chapters. Because I didn't know if I would go any further. I Like, my goal was to be able to order food. Mm-hmm. Because since I live in Akron, Ohio... Uh, we have, like, a large Asian population. So, yeah. we got people from Korea and Japan, Vietnam, Hong Kong, mainland, China, you know. So... Um, I just wanted to order some food, give my phone number and address, some Cantonese, which I did. I mean, it was so basic, you know, introduce myself, you know, nice to meet you, all that type of stuff, you know, basic stuff, because I knew I wasn't going to Hong Kong anytime soon. So for me, just to be able to finish that in six weeks, I I was happy. You know, if I could tell you happy birthday or happy holiday or something, I'm happy with just the basics for that, because I know I would never like be Uh, going to Hong Kong. Well, I don't have a passport yet, and I'm on disability, so Mm -hmm. it would be difficult for me right now to be able to, like, afford to go. And, well, you know, I don't think anyone wants to go
0: I don't think anybody wants to go anywhere right now with the coronavirus scare outbreak. And, you know, it's funny because I was just talking to my dad about this. I was saying that like every two to three years, there's some new outbreak. And I think sometimes we tend to blow these sort of things out of proportion and, you know, they're never really going to be as big as you would think. Um, Right. But, you know, I think in some ways it's a part of people's, you know, um, It's a part of who 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 we are as people to to kinda get scared by things and you know the media with sensationalism tends to, you know make it bigger a bigger deal than it is. So Oh yes. So yeah. Yeah, I just I
1: stopped watching the news. I actually canceled my cable subscription. And I have the internet and -hmm. so I live off of like PBS app and like disney plus and cbs all access and netflix and hulu and youtube and tune in radio and my digital movies i mean because technically I, you don't really need cable today
0: <laughs> you really don't you really don't and i feel that um there's there's something about you know just kind of having the internet that's uh, you know because people were like oh do you, did you see the debates and did you, did you, you know, watch this, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, I don't find that I need to do those things because I love that, you know, in some ways debates can be given out in digestible little bites on YouTube <laughs> and right. I can get the, the main points and, you know, um, just, just be able to really be that engaged person who also is good with managing her time um, right. and getting, getting the most out of it, getting more bang for your buck. I pay for YouTube premium just to be able to skip through the commercials and some of that stuff. Um, and I think I'm good with just my streaming services. Um,
1: I mean, I think that's where TV's going these days anyway.
0: It really is. It is. And, um, I find that unless there's like tonight, there is a, I love the Royal family, the British Royal family. I'm obsessed. Um, and so there's a special on CNN about you know the Windsors, and I've been watching it for the past Sundays. So um, I'll just kind of catch that with my parents, and but that's on cable, and it's a live kind of thing that you can't catch right. on online somewhere. So well,
1: you, you know, and it's it's weird because I feel so sorry for Meghan and Harry right now. They're just getting trashed, and
0: and I think it's it's the way that the British um, the British press tends to be, and. You know, they went from being very deferential to the royalty to during the age of Princess Diana, where it was like no holds barred. And, you know, it's just your life is my life. Um, And I do think just because Meghan is American and black, that she's been getting a lot more flack. And they're even saying that, oh, Harry's changing because of her. And it's like, "Ah, he was kind of always the royal rebel. So, right. He wanted to leave the
1: family anyway.
0: So, yeah, yeah. He's, he's never going to be like William, who's, like, shy and straight-laced. And, you know, he's just going to be a little bit more, you know, controversial.
1: I think that she would be disappointed that they're not as close as they should be at the moment.
0: I I really feel like they're still close. I think, you know, they're the kind of brothers that if they weren't brothers, maybe they wouldn't be best friends. But they're still, like, that we're here for each other. Right. And now, you know, just kind of based on some conversations they had, I know um, I was watching a documentary that kind of talked about um, Prince Charles turning 70 and, you know, they interviewed Harry and William and it's just, it seems like they all lived these separate lives anyway. So it's not like him marrying Meghan was going to change that because, you know, when you really think about the way that the British aristocracy, particularly the royal family, the boys were sent off to boarding schools you know, most of their lives, and it's not like they were. And I think very many Americans kind of forget this, they don't really grow up in households together, being particularly close. And then even with my British friends, affection and closeness is not necessarily a British thing. So yeah, I I think they have a normal British relationship, uh, William and Harry, and I don't think anything has changed. And I really don't buy any of this Megan and Kate are feuding. No I don't think they are. I think Kate has a personality that is you know just not anything like Megan's and Megan is an American who's probably all like touchy-feely nicey kind of right. and that probably goes against how Kate is. So I think Kate has to tone the line though because of the fact because she's, she's, the, she's, she's directly in line to the right. you know, she's the mother of Future King she's uh-huh. married to the Future King um, right. and there's a little bit more of this expected, this is who you are Right mm-hmm.
1: now I mean I wish they would stop saying that uh, I mean I understand her majesty is going to be 94 next month 94 yeah at the end of the day she's going now she lives to be as old as her mother which her, her mother, mother was died on mm-hmm. yeah. you know okay that would be great But at the same time, you know, people need to stop putting out, oh, well, she's so hurt by it. Well, okay.
0: I don't think she cares at this point. I know, if anything, you know, about somebody who's in their 90s, they care less as they get older. And these kind of things don't really matter. I think she's a stickler for tradition. And that was something, um, you know, I was... um, I'm a huge fan of The Crown and oh, I love that show. the same person who wrote The Crown also wrote a movie um about Queen Elizabeth back in the early 2000s. I saw um, that movie, yeah. The Queen,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: The Queen, exactly. Yeah. Helen Mirren and and it just kind of talked about how when princess diana died you know the queen was very against any of this show of public affection a parade or any of this She was just saying oh prince diana is no longer a member of the royal family this is tradition this is not what we do we don't fly the flag over buckingham palace um you know when somebody dies or whatever and you know this is this is she's a traditional woman and she's a very simple woman so when it comes down to it i don't think she really cares anymore but she is that kind of person where it's like this is tradition this is what we do we just keep calm and carry on and you go about your duty right
1: i mean now you know i can understand why harry and megan
0: uh
1: left the treatment she was getting was horrendous first of mm-hmm. all why would you put white tights on a black woman
0: that, wait, when did that, wait, when, when, what was that? What was that about?
1: Okay, when she first started dressing in public, they had her mm-hmm. in a pair of white tights.
0: I have to go back and find this because I'm like, what? Yeah, because sounds... they had
1: her in some white. I'm like, dude, that girl. Okay, she's half white, dude, but she's
0: caramel. Yeah, she ain't.
1: No, yeah. oh, man, come on. You know, mm-hmm. but but see, they are not accustomed to dealing with a mixed girl, and they're not. She's intelligent. She speaks her mind. She's not going to change overnight just to be in some stuffy, aristocratic institution where, okay, now they say that the royal family's racist. Well, I don't believe the royal family's racist.
0: Exactly. I don't either. And I, I think it's more of, you know, the people around them. And I really do feel like the royal family should be slimmed down. And this is, you know, I went over there for Megan and Harry's wedding. I wasn't invited. I'm not that important, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> not yet. But <laughs> I went just to be there in the atmosphere and um, to be with the crowds to, you know, and there was just this, this feeling of. The British people were like, Oh, okay, all right, another wedding. And, you know, people were just like, Okay, this family, you know, they're paid for by tax dollars. There but they also love the royal family. It's like they're a part of the family. So, um, I, I say all this because the fam- the royal family as a whole needs to be slimmed down. The kids had the, the queen has four kids. Right. And, you know, they each have two kids. And and it's just like so we're bringing all of these royal people. Now you've got Prince Andrew's kids. They both want some big pageantry style wedding. And I think it's right for Harry and Meghan to want to be pared down because Prince William has 17 kids. And by the time, <laughs> no, it's, um, it, it's a growing family they have. And by the time Prince Charles becomes King, it's like, why do you need all of these extra royal family members? You've got, princess margaret's kids you've got you know i don't even know how princess michael of kent is related to them i think she's the queen's cousin or something and i'm like why do all these people need to be in these palaces supported by the public and a part of this you know it can't it just be a pared down family right like a nuclear family no cousins no weird well well you know it's kind
1: of funny i think the reason why andrew wanted Beatrice and Eugenie was because they were blood royal and so they actually really wanted to help I mm-hmm. can understand that now Zara and Peter they didn't have titles because Anne said no They, you yeah. know, but that's one thing and I felt bad when Peter Phillips and his wife are, d- are getting a divorce I felt really bad but you know maybe she was just unhappy
0: I, I could tell it, 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 I feel like it's difficult I don't really I think down the line maybe even Kate might leave William. Um because it seems like it's a lot of pressure for no reason. And Well, the, you know, Peter I, Phillips doesn't even have a title, but yet I guess she would still fall under that same scrutiny. Well, yeah. She still Yeah, cuz they want you know, you to that, That's the Queen's oldest way. grandson.
1: Right. But the tr- he's he's a relative. Well, he is the Prince Royal. Because of his Oh, okay. because of his mother. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I can understand it. Could you imagine someone telling you how to dress every day, how to behave, how to, you could Which is why Megan is not doing any of it. Right, right. And I mean, I love her. I think she's awesome. I love her style. Well, I liked her. In oh case. yeah, I loved
0: her since she was on Suits. Um, I was. Feel, I feel like I was one of the only people who watched the show, um, but. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's interesting because I feel like this is kind of pointing to the direction that everything is going to in society. There's, there's a change and it's time for a change. Why are we so deferential to people who just have titles? You know, most of that has gone away when you think about how there are no non-royal dukes really left and all of these, you know, these titles or we used to call people my lord, my lady, you know, none of that really exists anymore. Right. I mean, there to,
1: are there is royalty out there, but they're actually they're not allowed to vote. They're not allowed to
0: do any of that. I mean, they still do charity work, and they they're, but, they're still figure they're figureheads. But right. I think you know the 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 deferential status, right? And this this I think that's what megan and Harry are getting away from. And I think they're also um there was a like a, a political comedy guy who made a you know Bill Maher who has um right not politically incorrect the show is um real time with Gilmar he right. kind of had a com a, a, um an op-ed that where he talked about why do we still bow and curtsy to people who are just human so right. um and I think it, it also kind of like bringing it back to languages it it kind of brings about this this we need to change things you know, there were, there were, for centuries, there were things that, you know, we realized we were doing wrong and that there were changes that need to be had or traditions that we kept up and we wondered, why are we doing this? Um, at the last Polyglot Conference in Japan, in Fukuoka, we kind of talked about languages maybe evolving to have binary and, you know, non-binary kind of like an, an evaluation, a change in the fact that we say... That things are masculine and feminine and neuter and why does that still need to exist right and there there was a um presenter who is non-binary and they were saying that you know there's still a struggle for the pronouns in english you know for for them and as opposed to saying she where this person formerly used to be you know um identified as female and so now the person wants to, you know, just kind of have these these pronouns that they prefer being embraced. And, you know, it just makes me think, hmm, there are so many languages where, you know, how do you meet that challenge in French or in Italian or, you know, Russian where there's masculine and feminine? We don't have that in English, but we still use he, she, him. Zoom, um, it, and thanks. it just, it makes it easier a lot of times, yes. um, you know, just to, to kind of take these things into consideration and to start to change things. I even read an article today about changes in the Gregorian calendar. So, you know, we have these old things that really need to change and these old ways of thinking.
1: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I live in a senior um, citizen building where it's people who are disabled and E.I., People who are mm-hmm. fifty five and older, and I'm the only person that's legally blind in this sucker with a guide dog. Now, mm-hmm. now, mind you, you know a, a lot of these people are older. You know, it's a mix of black and white. We might have had like one one Latina here, but she's about to move out, so, mm-hmm. um, because she's moving back to Arizona, which is unfortunate. But yeah, so so a lot of it, um, you know, you have people where they think that because you're either, they think you're either blind or you're not. And I said, well, there's degrees of, of legal blindness. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not total. I'm visually impaired, which means that, yes, I can see everything around me, but I can't see small details. So I can't read small print, which is 12 font. But I can pick up a magazine and tell you that Tom Cruise is on it or Leonardo DiCaprio, because I can see them clearly. It's big enough for me to see. So I mm-hmm. can see a McDonald's building, But I couldn't tell you what the address was. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, I could see the arches and tell you what they look like. But once we go into the McDonald's, I cannot read the menu. Mm -hmm. So I have to say it in those terms. Like, looking up at the sky, it's pitch black dark. The moon is out. This is how big the moon is. But if you ask me where the constellation Leo was or the Milky Way, I couldn't tell you that. Okay. So, but I used to be able to read that type of print when I was little but because I have what's called retinopathy or prematurity, I was born one pound 13 houses on June 1st, 1977. And they did not have my eyes covered. Wow. And so my eyes did not develop as well. And so the sight I have in my left eye works for two. Um, They had cataracts. They removed them twice. Once when I was three, and then again when I was four. It came back in my right eye. Can never see out of it anyway. Um, But my my left eye is the good eye, so that's, you know, I can still see people and money and all that, but Mm -hmm. I cannot read print anymore. Like, if I look at a Cheerios box, I can tell you what it looks like. I can spell the word Cheerio. That's big enough. You turn it to the side, I cannot read you the ingredients. Mm -hmm. So, for me, that's basically my thing. I, you know, I know what a bus stop looks like. I know what a you know, the stop sign and the caution sign and all that. It's just the distance aspect and the print aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So I have to have people help me fill out my paperwork. And, you know, especially if it's on paper. I mean, I can sign my name. I could, I could always write. I learned to print. To read, write print when I was four. I learned how to read. Yeah. My mother got me yeah. these big jumbo books and big crayons and big coloring books and everything was big. Big TVs and You know, Mm -hmm. so, you know, um, for me, you know, I was always a print reader up until I was about 29. Yeah. So, and I'm going on 43. So, I went from uh, seven years ago, 20 over 2400 visual acuity in my left eye to 23 feet in front of me counting fingers distance because I worked somewhere for six months using a magnifier with a 10x factor and i was working in a fitting room doing everything and because i had to read with this thing for 20 to 25 hours a week i i lost a lot of my readable vision oh no in like nine months
0: is it just like you know just Mm the degeneration due to yeah um you know the strain
1: yes and so um i mean i still can watch tv and tell you who's on it but don't ask me if they put a plate of food down i couldn't tell you what was on it Mm -hmm. it's those things i mean now it's like audio describe and you know i i I watch netflix and i have i have all apple products so i have voiceover on all the time and i watch movies and i pick the languages i want and and all that, and I have the subtitles read to me out loud, and whatever language, so if it's in French, I'll listen to the audio in French, and then I might listen to, if they have Russian subtitles, I'll do Russian, or if they have Turkish, I'll do Turkish, it just depends.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, well, so, wait, how, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to know, how many languages are you, you know, dabbling in? Oh, yeah! Okay. okay, well, I can
1: tell you what I've dabbled in, I can tell you what I've spoken, to a pretty good degree, um, English, American Sign Language, Spanish, Russian, but I named American Sign Language because that was the first language I learned outside of English, Mm -hmm. but I remember a handful of signs. So, as far as speaking to a high level, English, Spanish, Russian, and then if you want to have a conversation with me, uh, French, Dutch, uh, some Italian... But passively I understand more at a higher level in those those three languages. I I dabbled in some Icelandic last year, some
0: Greek. Ooh, to Eastland school. Um
1: wait, yeah, ja, um Verdi the um
0: uh the oh, the
1: shit. It's been a minute. <laughs>
0: yes it, it is. And it's funny, I, I feel like I could only throw that out because um I learned I went to Iceland, um, with an ex boyfriend. We went there for like this little trip and I'm like, I'm gonna learn a little bit. I didn't learn as much as I wanted to, but there was one phrase um that's like, Do you speak Icelandic? Or like do you understand? It really means do you understand Icelandic? And yeah. It's Skilithu Eastland School and there is a mall near my hometown called eastland and it it's like this political thing that you know everybody's like what are we gonna do with them all eastland where's what are we gonna do with eastland it's like oh we need some skills to figure out what to do with eastland so it's like skilletheel eastland school and then somebody's like maybe we should put a school there and it's like skilletheel eastland school so um yeah i just kind of i come up with some silly mnemonics sometimes but yeah
1: um, i i for some reason i picked up icelandic but then my mind kept racing because every time there was an, someone would put out a different language and they would say oh well this is so hard and i was like i'm gonna prove y'all asses wrong this isn't hard so mm-hmm. because i said that like icelandic and finnish were difficult and i was
0: like get real so yeah no so hungarian that's that's some difficult that's a difficult one though see
1: i couldn't wrap my tongue around hungarian i tried really hard i'm like but i wasn't feeling it either
0: i i feel like i'm maybe that's my problem with korean because i have been trying to learn it trying to learn it and i spent all of january like studying it really intensely and then the other day i walked into a beauty supply store where (laughs) you know, most beauty supplies in the Metro Detroit area are owned by Koreans and they were speaking um, Korean to each other. And I just, I couldn't follow one. And then I tried to think of something to say and I couldn't think of anything. Um, wow. Maybe I'll, I'll learn music or something. Cause um, my Hungarian friend challenged me to learn a Hungarian national song. And I literally learned that thing in like a week. And I was like, I liked it. I liked the way that it sounded, and I knew the meaning behind the words I was singing. So I think maybe learning songs and singing, um, whether you're good at singing or not, you know, could be a good way to you know break yourself into a language. So I think that's why I really, really loved Chinese, and for me, it was easy because with Mandarin, I mm-hmm. have been like learning little Mandarin songs and things. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the same, like with Spanish, my first love. um, I always had in elementary school, like a Spanish song. There was a Spanish teacher. That was their idea of like, um, that was how this, this particular public school taught us Spanish. They would have a lady come in for about 20 minutes and teach us songs, give us candy, and then she would leave. Um, So we weren't actually learning, learning. Uh. Um, But I felt like that, that kind of, to me the language then became associated with fun right um and to me i think that's more meaningful when you associate a language like that with a fun experience um yeah. and mm-hmm. it, talking to you now i feel like it's really re- you know reminding me i need to get back on my game especially um in in the car instead of listening to all this pop music or whatever it is i'm listening to i could just throw back on my Pimsler audio, where you know they go through everything, and um, I'll just dive right into it with Korean. Um, oh, I
1: was gonna say, um uh, next one, well, a couple months, Michelle Thomas method is coming out with um, uh, Korean foundation. Oh, really? Yes, Maybe
0: now because I feel like I used to follow Michelle Thomas, now, and now that you brought it back up. It's kind of jarring my memory.
1: Now, if you want to get 35% off, one time only, type my name in minus the E at the end. And you can get um, one course of your choice, 35% off. So, um, but I will be reviewing that. And I also have to, like, I contacted Richards Ollie Richard, com, which I interviewed already. Um, I've been following him. Yeah, for the past, I like, think I months. met
0: Ali at the Polyglot Conference. So, like, if you ever, you know, can can you know get a passport and you can you can make it to one, I would highly recommend Polyglot Conference. This year is going to be in Mexico. Um,
1: oh yeah, I would love to go. Unfortunately, um, I'm supposed to be moving eventually, so, mm-hmm. to a new apartment that's more centralized. Yeah, uh, for me, so I won't be going anywhere as much as I want to. And so I got to get a passport. Mm -hmm. And and me and uh, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine who lives in Mexico, she was saying the same thing. We were talking on the phone the other day. And I said, you know, it's a shame that I would love to go out of the country. However, it's hard when you live off of $783 a month and you don't have any other income coming in. So... I said um you know it would be great if a few of us in the poly- polyglot community who are of color could
0: put together our own thing yes somewhere that's easy to get to yeah yeah so this is a, this is not the first time i think uh right now listeners uh you are hearing the birth of the uh black polyglot experience and it is going to be somewhere in ohio <laughs> So, you know, and, and, but, I mean, because honestly, because Moses, Moses McCormick doesn't really travel, and you know, so we listen to you now. guys. I'm a couple of minutes from Ohio, so
1: yeah, he's, he's in Arizona now. What, yeah, he moved to Arizona over a year and a half ago. When did that happen? Oh, that happened in 2018. Dang it, yeah, he moved. I don't know the real reason why, but you know i i don't
0: i don't well you know every once in a while you do have to leave go start somewhere new do something you know
1: yeah i've been um, trying to get him on the show for a while because i i enjoy um i've been following him since i joined the polyglot community five years ago
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, it's been about the same amount of time because it was like 2015-ish yeah 2014-ish that i got that was the first time i went to a polyglot conference um and I was going to ask, were... what,
1: what, what did you what is your experience of those? Because, like, a lot of people, when they talk about them, they, they see how great they are. But, you know, from a minority's perspective, it might be a little bit different because we don't
0: hear a lot. Like, yeah, you know, that, that is, it's always, um, I only ever see, like, maybe two other people. This time, for some reason in Fukuoka, there were a lot. And by a lot, I mean five. There were like five black people there who were all Americans. Um, and I was just like, what? Where did all you guys come from? Because even the one in New York, um, there weren't necessarily a lot of people of color. Um, and that was my first time going. So like five years ago, uh, that was my first entree into it. But it's it's fun. It's fun because people are like you and they're really into languages and they're learning and they're, you know, just kind of like a nerdy group of people who are doing fun things. There's always some sort of a cultural tour or, you know, I, um, I know in Slovenia, it was a, this big bus tour where they took us all over the place. And um, I, I didn't go to the one in Greece or in Iceland, but I heard that it was like really, really fun. Um, and then Fukuoka, it was just like so much to do and see. And, you know, you, you you're surrounded by your tribe, even though you're not necessarily like surrounded by people who look like you, but there's still so much diversity right. that you still, everybody kind of has that experience of like, I'm the only, you know, person from Hungary here, or I'm the only person from Japan here or whatever the case is. Right. So you're going to have, you know, I think we have togetherness because of our differences. Right. There's well, so much diversity there that I don't think we notice. Um, right when, when we, we're the only people of color, right? When when it's not even a real case because there's always gonna be someone from Mexico or from India or whatever the case, right? You know? Right, because
1: I guess for me, because I've not been, but I've heard so many stories. I mean, I've heard stories like someone went and they're English and they're young, I mean, they're like 22, 21. Mm-hmm. And they're like a little YouTube sensation. And they felt like when they went to the last polyglot gathering, they didn't feel comfortable,
0: they said. Now, the polyglot gathering, I have heard that um, it's always in Europe. It's very Eurocentric. Um, I've never been to a polyglot gathering, but I do get the feeling from what I hear that it's, it's like it seems a little bit more exclusive and they make you feel like you you know oh well you haven't been coming to this for the past six years who are you and it doesn't seem like to me that that has that much to do with race it's more oh it's a European kind of gathering and you know this is who we are and we're you know so actually the polyglot gathering is joining forces with the polyglot conference Um, oh you mean like yeah langfest sorry yeah langfest because polyglot gathering is actually happening pretty soon and um, yeah and I wanted, yeah I, so know, that's so, what i, I have wanted... heard about the the gathering versus um the the polyglot conference you know and
1: it's so funny because people want you to go to everything and it's like dude i wish yeah okay do i have that kind of money <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that's what, you know, mm-hmm because this people, is not the kind of thing that any of my jobs will ever pay for. Even when I worked for Mango, they didn't pay for the um the people who did go. Wow. But, know, I, would th-
1: um, I would think that that if you work for a company like that, they if you're representing them, that they would pay for something like that.
0: You know, I don't. I can't speak to them now, like whether they do now. But it that was five years ago, um, and. I feel like it was more than five years ago. You
1: know, because I just started using them because of course I use their the audio part of it. And it's easy for me to pick up, you know, whatever language it is. Um, I did try some Greek. <laughs> Ooh, A little bit of Greek okay. last
0: year. Uh, um. Wait. Um. Uh, wait.
1: Yeah. Um Mira. Wait, wait, Yeah, Kala. You're
0: doing good. You sound good because I don't even remember what, what F Caristopoli means. I think it's uh, like how are you?
1: <laughs> um Audiosis uh which means goodbye. Uh Wait. wait. Well, anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. I I mean, some of them... I I remember I was much better at this when I was in my 20s. Like, early 20s. I didn't have friends. And I would just listen to all of these audio... um, There were CD-ROMs at the time. And there was a CD-ROM from Transparent Language that it had every... It was like... Um, 31 languages of the world they got and they 150 this- now what yeah if you go and through- i love transparent language i've actually partnered with them on um a couple of things um and they they follow me on social media and i just think it's it's pretty awesome yeah um, i want to partner out out with mango
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, i am going to be partnering up with um innovative language Oh,
0: nice, nice. They're they're actually really cool. I haven't um, been on any of their, their stuff in a while, but um, you know what? Uh, maybe I'll connect you to somebody who is with Mango. Um, she actually taught taught me uh, told me about a Korean language meetup that happened um, like two weekends ago.
1: The bot, <laughs> which mm-hmm. means awesome in Korean. Yeah, oh, and okay. it, it's funny because I remember a couple of words in Korean from doing the mango like biko (laughs) american and (laughs)
0: nay and and oh okay uh yeah like i remember that but like i don't remember much of anything else yeah it's it's like one of the but i think I've been reading um, that was maybe the missing piece a couple of years back when I first kind of stumbled across like some free Korean classes on my university campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother and I, we went um, and we, we were pretty good at it. But maybe the missing missing piece was the, the um, cultural component. And this is why I keep emphasizing to people like incorporate music or comic books or something to read like what you've been doing. Um, where you're watching movies in that language, and I'm actually cooking you
1: know, Lebanese food now.
0: Ooh, nice, nice. I'm gonna come yeah. over for some, you yeah. know, lentil soup.
1: Um, oh, um. I I made some. It was so good, and I made some Lebanese nights, um, um, pudding, and it was really good. And then I made, okay. uh, I made, I made some ajedra, um, and. Yeah, there's a few things I've made. Um, I want to make makluba, Ooh. and I had the opportunity to interview uh, feast and piece of the Middle East host on YouTube, um, um, Blanche Shaheen recently.
0: You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you to a couple of folks. I think, um, because one of my friends I met at the polyglot conference is a German gentleman, um, named Gabriel, and he is like, he is such a personal development guru. He's just like, he's always, like for my birthday, he sent me a bunch of books on, you know, leadership. And at the time I was like, I don't know if this book fits my life. I'm not a leader. And now I'm an elected official and I also have a leadership position um, during my day job. So I'm just like, now I've had to revisit that book. But but I digress because he also introduced me to a young lady who is starting like these sort of um black international travel experience um organization it's mm-hmm. all about it's called travel abroad like a g uh-huh. and um she's just really cool we haven't had a chance to like have a nice deep talk like this um but we are we've kind of talked about you know just like the black abroad experience um and i think she'd be a really cool guest to have on the show shoot gabriel would too um he has he like speaks like 14 million languages should put um, on that phone <laughs> oh, ship uh, off one Jezeelan. <laughs> um, <but> Anna <laughs>
1: Becky, uh, um, Erebiswe, Sabe, um, Men, America, um,
0: what else? Um, Jay <Alert nen-ness> <sighs> <clears throat> <sentido> Yeah,
1: I, I just finished the, the first uh, beginner um uh, level of Lebanese Arabic on memory memorize this afternoon and I've been doing the Mango um Lebanese um uh course. Um and actually I've ordered food already in Arabic. I went to um a Latin's here in um Akron and ordered some food and egyptian arabic and um then i um ordered some food in thai at a thai restaurant and got invited to a buddhist temple to practice my thai nice Nice. and then i ordered some food in cantonese last year so this year i plan on learning um how to order food in hindi and um order me some food in hindi at an indian restaurant I just got to find an Indian restaurant because there's not one here in
0: Akron. That's what um, I was what, about to wonder. Like how many, because I know in Detroit there are like almost none. Um, So you have to go almost out to the suburbs. So like, right. Yeah. I can't think of a single. I, I yeah. know.
1: I and you know what's funny is that we have a large Lebanese population. We have a large Hindi population here too. Um, And I, I mean, like you name the, the country is probably here. Um, You know, so I get, Plenty of practice, like to practice what little I want to practice. And I love the fact that the people are so welcoming, you know, when you're trying to speak their language.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: the first people that welcomed me in the polyglot community were the Russians. And so. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. This is what I was just explaining to somebody. Um, um, I met in, in this political organization, and people were just kind of. Um, surprised that I spoke Russian or lived in Russia and they were like, what was that experience like? And I'm like, Slavic people are very welcoming. Even the same with my experience being in Slovenia where people will go out of your, their way to be nice and helpful. And, you know, it's just a very welcoming culture, but um, I think, and I'm going to probably have to jump off the call um, soon, okay. but I, I did want to just kind of close with this, that, you know, languages, they kind of teach us that there is, there's so much more we have in common than we do have differences. Um, and I just find that it, it prepares me for a world where um, injustices happen, and sometimes life isn't fair. And it's weird, because in the 21st century, I feel that you know, there should just be an end to people being discriminatory or whatever the case is, or just not liking you because of the, you know, color of your skin or whatever the case. But, you know, that's, that's, I think languages equip you for being a person first and having them see you right. or you first before making a snap judgment. Um, it's like in, in that way, it becomes the, oh, the great equalizer. Sorry for all that noise. That's okay. Um, But, you know, languages are the great equalizer and they make you bring out personality that you didn't know you had or they give you the courage that, you know, you don't always think you have. So being this shy little person growing up, languages have really given me the ability to step into who I'm meant to be and step into being... More of a leader, more of a person who is gonna be an advocate or stand up for people's rights and an advocate for people who are different. And because that's one thing that attracted me to having these experiences was the differences and right finding the similarities.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I mean, as soon as I heard your piece in the BBC documentary, I said I have to connect with her. And I have to get her on the show because I know for a fact. Like I listen to a lot of people, and in their podcasts,
0: and I hadn't heard you on one yet. And I'm like, oh no, I
1: have to. Get her. I have to
0: get her. <laughs> you have to be the first. Um, I mean, I've have I've connected to some local podcasts, and that's kind of been fairly new. Um, I've been in the community, the polyglot community, for a while now, but um, you know, I haven't really had any taking off and I think in some ways I can be inconsistent (laughs) um that I'm I'm working on I'm working on it so um yeah I just want to I want to get out there more with the mission um and I wear multiple hats but I promise like I'm going to be more dedicated to being that polyglot who's out here more um with more YouTube more podcasting and connecting with more folks like yourself
1: yeah, because I do a lot more, um, Facebooking and tweeting than I do YouTube and Instagram, and I have an Instagram account. But to me, it's like I'm not like really a big Instagrammer like a lot of people. So,
0: yeah. Okay, I'm about to look you up on Instagram, and Lean Global is gonna follow you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Film Chanel nineteen seventy seven. Okay. Yeah. Fem- film. Film. F I L M C H E N E L L E one nine seven seven
0: okay gotcha yes yeah well, thank you so much for having me on i yeah. feel like honored and i feel really inspired so i'm gonna go and get my you know i already have the michelle thomas pulled up because i remember i did used to use this once upon a time and i'm gonna use um Pimsleur audio in the car instead of listening to you know Beyonce for the millionth time I was so, gonna say um, you
1: you could listen to tune in radio as well you can go to any any country and find music from every country there is in that language nice. yeah and radio garden too
0: okay see you're a wealth of information but yeah I'm so glad that that I'm you know a part of your network and we've connected so um, oh yeah I've had okay. so much fun talking to you um, thank and you thank you so much for having me on
1: you're welcome Bye. Bye.